Hey there, stylish ThoughtBot podcast listener. We're back with another ThoughtBot swag sale. For the rest of the year, you can show your support for our podcast with shirts, pint glasses, and even limited edition socks. We have two new designs specifically for giant robots and bike shed t-shirts that have only before been available at conferences. For the production and shipping, we are proud to once again be partnering with Social Imprints, who provide career opportunities and a living wage to people who need a second chance. So help support your favorite podcasts, provide employment opportunities for at-risk populations, and get some nifty ThoughtBot swag. Head over to ThoughtBot.com podcasts to place your order and show your support. And hey, thanks. Do you think the Earth is round or flat? I mean, obviously it's flat. This was a lunch discussion last week. We had a discussion about whether the earth was round or flat. And I, I am of the opinion that most people who t- say that the world is flat are just doing it for kicks. Sure. And so I was like, nobody actually believes that. And then, you know, we got into a discussion about like the war on science, basically, which was a fun lunch discussion to have. And then we went home and I was talking to my son and somehow this topic of dinosaurs came up and he said to me, but nobody knows if dinosaurs were real. <laughs> and I was just like triggered by that plus the the lunch discussion we had had and i had to correct that right there i was like where did you hear that who told you dinosaurs weren't real <laughs> and he was like well it's, it's technically not wrong nobody no. knows for sure that they were real <laughs> we just have an overwhelming wealth of evidence indicating very very strongly that they were right this is what i went down he was like but then he to his credit started being like well how do they know that like tyrannosaurus rex's skin was green I was like, they don't. Ooh, they don't. They That's actually just, literally don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, they don't know that. But then he was like, what about ones that have feathers? And I was like, okay, well, that they could presumably know possibly because there could be some fossilized evidence of feathers. I hate the feathered dinosaurs, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid feathered dinosaurs. <laughs> they look like big chickens. <laughs> I mean, chickens are, well, and birds in general are the, the closest remaining descendants. If they existed at all. If they existed at all, of course. <laughs> Hi, Sean. Hi, Derek. We did the highs for you. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Did you see we released <laughs> Diesel 1.0 Beta 1? I didn't see that there was a release, but I saw that you posted that uh, you were creating a version with a with a 1 in front of it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, or not a 0, at least. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was so funny. I was just noticing, because, you know, I have a bunch of different repos, which I need to tag the release in. And just like the third time this happened, I realized my muscle memory, if I type in git space tag space V, my muscle memory immediately types zero, <laughs> which I just thought was, was interesting. Yeah. So um, it's funny. We're not like substantially closer to actual 1.0 than we were four days earlier when I released 0.99.0. It continues to be the only real difference I want to have between those versions be the removal of deprecated code and documentation. Mm-hmm. But then I got to this one module, I was reviewing the docs on it, and I was just like, this structure makes it really, really hard to view from a documentation perspective. Um, so it's kind of like if you imagine relation, if like where and select and order, if each of those methods lived on in, in a different module. Mm-hmm. So none of those methods were rendered on the same page in the documentation. Okay. Uh, it was sort of the equivalent of that. And, and they do have to be separate, uh, at least like the version of this method that uh, or of this trait that does actual stuff for very good reasons. But uh, I figured, you know what, let's just add like a meta trait that just implements all of these methods by calling out to the appropriate trait. 
which actually also has the side effect of improving error messages in a couple of places, which was nice too. The idea being that then you could document them all in this meta trait and they'd be all together. Exactly. Yeah. But it was a breaking change for code that was ever, like if your code was just calling these methods, it's fine. But for any code that was ever like referring to these traits by name, either because it was in generic code and so they needed to say like, I take any argument where I can call filter with these arguments, it would have needed to name this trait by name. Or if you were ever using uh, what's called uh, the unambiguous function call syntax, uh, which basically means like if there were two methods with the name filter in scope, you would have had to clarify to the compiler which one you wanted. Uh, so in either of those two cases, now the method traits now live in a new method submodule, and they're sort of like not in Diesel's prelude by default, and they're a little harder to get to. And it's all that to say, like it was technically a breaking change, and then so then I'm, I'm like, well, crap. I didn't want to do a breaking change in a teeny version bump. I didn't want to have it be 0.99.2. Uh, just because like that felt, even though most apps wouldn't break from this, it still felt wrong to me. So I'm like, well, what do I call the version? 0 0.100, baby. 0 0.100 or 0 0.999.0. Uh, <laughs> but then I realized, oh, also, I already removed all the deprecated code in master, and I don't really want to deal with backporting uh, th these changes <laughs> to another branch. So we'll call it 1.0 beta 1. Good enough. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, that was the reasoning for for that release. Okay, I told you you were backing yourself into the corner with this nine nine thing. <laughs> yeah, but what can you do? Hmm. Really, if I just hadn't immediately been like, all right, and now masters tracking one remove all the deprecated code, uh, it would have been fine. Right. Yep. But whatever. I have some query builder stuff. Okay, I build the query builders, particularly the active record thing. So. Um, the active record thing. The active record thing. That active record thingamabob. So the project I'm on right now has this like multifaceted search thing that we built. And the way we built that search is we have, we built all these query objects that take in a scope and the entire search parameters, like all the search parameters, and do their particular part of that search by modifying that scope, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's something else externally that chains all these things together, right? It just basically runs an inject over a collection of all these, these uh, objects. So we call that the query builder, or we call that query chain, I guess. We call that the query chain, and then you have these query objects that make up the chain. Most of the time, this works out perfectly okay. There have now been a couple of times where these individual supposedly independent query objects kind of overlap with each other. And so the situation I got into yesterday was we added a feature that like searched for this app has to do with places where you can go for like skilled nursing facilities and things like that. So it has various data on insurances, insurance plans and things like that. And so you can search one of the things you can search by is like insurance payer information, which is like the insurance company that is paying your claims. Mm -hmm. And then you can also search by the, in, the particular insurance plan you have to say like, not only do they have a contract with Aetna, but specifically like this insurance plan from Aetna or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and do they take that? And so those, those were two implemented as two different query objects, but for whatever reason, the way the data model, the data, data was modeled, they would share a join. If, like, if you wanted to query on both of those things, they both required joining to this one join table. Okay. And so when they were written in like the naive, like, okay, cool, I wrote this, it filters this way, I wrote this, it filters the other way, what we found was that we were duplicating joins 
So the first query object runs, adds its, adds the joins it needs with the conditions it needs. The second query object runs, it adds a duplicate version of that join. So like what I had expected for some reason was that if you say like post.joinsuser.joinsuser. Right, yeah. So I, I, that's how I thought it worked too. And I'm right now testing this. Yeah, as I was going to sworn. Undefined method. Oh, typo. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it just joins once. If you do user.joinsposts.joinsposts, that just, that just has a single inner join. Hmm, joins values. Okay, duplicated in joins values. Okay, but that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter because it doesn't, so to SQL, yes, it does just have one one inner join. Now, I'm wondering if it's particularly because this was a has many through association. So what would ultimately happen was was like, I don't know, give me, I'm trying to make this relatable. Give me something that posts might have a, like a has many through. Posts uh, might have many tags Might have many through. users through comments. Okay, sure. Might have many users through comments. So the first query object would say like uh, joins posts and their I don't know and some other like some other has many has many through association, and then the mm -hmm. second one would come through and say like oh no no I also want to joins posts to users right so there's two has many through joins there, and that's where I was seeing the behavior with the, of the duplicated join and Rails would very smartly like give the second one an alias name. Okay, so it was going to the same table, but with a different path to that table. Yes. So yes. I'm sorry. Can you just say this one more? Say this. So walk me through this one more time. <laughs> Why don't we go to the actual? I don't think there's any problem in me actually talking about what the actual joins are. So let me open up this code base. Because I'm on, I'm I'm just also trying to figure out if this is a bug or not. Right. That was actually my question. Is like, is this a bug? Also, I've never run into this before, so maybe it's just like a weird use case, or maybe I'm doing something wrong. So we have an insurance payer query. And one of the things it does is it joins from the base scope, which is probably, you can think of it as like the care provider, right? Okay. It joins a hash of accepted insurers is the key and insurance payer is the value. And then something else is just trying to get to and then insurance the, payer. The next thing is trying to get to accepted insurers, accepted plan types. So, so you're still, so you're going to accepted insurers in both cases. Right. But then you're going to a different... Uh, has many so that accepted insurers is the through in both cases, but the well, has it's not many really has different. many through at all, right? It's just you're joining two tables through another table, but it's not necessarily a has many through relationship. If it was a has many through, you could just say join to the has many through directly. Yes, that's what we did originally, and when we did that, like when we had the second thing, just say like, oh, just join accepted plan types. It wouldn't work. It, though it would work, it would just duplicate the query. So. Long story short, what I ended up actually doing was like this crazy thing where I like inside the second query object, I checked to see like, are we already joined to that accepted insurers table? If so, use this like stringified version of the joint, like basically here's some embedded SQL to do the one join I need. Otherwise, go ahead and join to like the, the hash of accepted insurers to accepted plan types. And I will see if it's okay if I can link this in a gist somewhere so people could possibly potentially follow along with what I'm talking about here. I'm um, coming up with some nonsense has many throughs here just to, to check this out. So like comment has both user and avatar. And so post has many avatars through comments because that's totally, that, that makes sense. <laughs> so you were seeing the bug by like if I did post.joins avatars.joins users. No. That does join to the comments table twice. Yes. Okay. Then, I do that. Then yes. Which is... Like the thing is, it, it could potentially be what you wanted because you could be joining to those things for different reasons, right? You could yeah, have different but the, conditions. The, jo the join to the comments table should have, like, it's it's going through the same source relationship. 
like there's no reason that that needs to be duplicated. Yeah, and it ended up having like a huge impact on the performance of our query. So our queries ended up ended up taking like five seconds versus when I fixed this, it took 250 milliseconds. And it was like, okay, <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of data, but yeah, I'm not, no, I'm I'm now just like. I'm trying to think if there's any reason that this does need to be separate. I don't think it does. I think I think the reason this is happening is because it's going through code paths that are assuming that like you're joined to this table twice through different paths even to that table. So if it was like the middle table of like mm -hmm. three associations down and that same table appeared twice or even if it was at the very end, as long as it's not the, the very first table, you know, as long as it's not duplicating right. a join from the source table Right. to something the key being here like if all but the leaf nodes in those joins are are the same then it should be one join if there are other differences then it should be two joins the leaf nodes it doesn't even matter if it's a leaf node or not it really the only time it matters is if it is joining directly to the root table of the query or not right because that's the case where i can't think of any any reason you would need this table to appear twice there's absolutely nothing you could do to one of the aliased tables that wouldn't affect the other one I'm trying to think of like maybe something with left outer joins would would cause that but even then that's only if there's at least one more table in between this and the chain i'm guessing this is just going through some code that is assuming that if the table's appearing twice it needs to be duplicated but we could probably handle this case yeah i'm just not like i think when i sent it to you originally i was like it seems like this should be a thing that I'm not like, like the code I had to write, I would hope nobody has to write. It's not like you can read it. And I don't think it's that bad. It's just like, you shouldn't be like your first comment was like, you understand that joins values is private API and you shouldn't be using it. Right. And I was like, I didn't even say that. And you shouldn't be using it. I, uh, I just said, Hey, don't come crying to me if uh, your code breaks. Cause what I, what I basically have to do is look at the stuff that's already joined and that's joins values and say like, is it already joined to accepted insurers? But it's not enough to say like, does the joins values contain the so, symbol accepted insurers? Because some of those you know, things it's are interesting. What is interesting? If you always join with the explicit hash form. So instead of saying, so in my case, right, posts has many users through comments and post has many avatars through comments. Yep. And so if I do post.joins users.joins avatars, it duplicates the comments entry in the query. Mm -hmm. But if I do post.joins passing in a hash comments avatar dot joins passing another hash comments uh, user so it's saying the exact same thing other than I guess if there were a scope in <laughs> the comments association no it would still apply if there was a scope in your has many through which you wouldn't like I don't know anybody who actually adds scopes to associations especially not has many through associations Anyway, as long and as you have scopes on associations. A, wait, wait, wait. By adding a scope to an association, you mean adding what? I mean passing a second argument, which is a proc, which adds stuff. I definitely add scopes to associations. I don't know that I've ever done it to a has many through. Right. But I probably, I, let me see. I don't know. Maybe. I'm just, I'm just trying to think if this is at, like, that's the only time that, that doing this explicit, you're going to this table through this path would ever be different than just saying join to the association with this name, if it's a has right. many through. It just surprised me that AI had never come across this before, and it likely is because like I've never really worked on a project where like the entirety of the product is basically this faceted search that is a collection of these query objects. Like I've done this collection of query objects thing, but it's not like the heart of the project usually. And so we're just in it a lot and end up having to do this a lot. And the other weird thing I had this week was basically like I had a query that had a bunch of post post gis post post gis post gis post gis. Data in uh, that it returned 
and mm -hmm. that was the query that was originally taking three seconds and we were running it twice we were running it once to be paged like with paging information and then mm -hmm. we were running it another time where all we needed out of it was like the ids of the records being returned but we needed all of it right not just the paged results and so unfortunately when it was originally written it was like the query was executing in much faster than three seconds so it didn't really matter it wasn't immediately observably important that we were returning active record objects for the entire result set. So I was like, oh, no problem. I'll just add a pluck ID here. And I can't really do that because the query was using select distinct. <laughs> so like, right. in a SQL world, all I want to do is say select ID from this query. Right. And I could not, for the life of me, figure out how to do that from active record land. <laughs> well, so you could always do... Pick arbitrary class because it actually doesn't matter. Yeah, I started with application record. Sure. <laughs> uh, dot from. Yeah. Passing it your your other relation. Yeah. Dot pluck ID. That should work. Yes. I think, you know what? I do think that would have worked. I think I was getting an error message that was similar to the error message I was getting the first time around. And it misled me because what, what I ended up doing was hitting that other error where um, the original query had all that post-gist data in it, which was like, a big collection of functions as distance and a big collection mm -hmm. of functions as bearing. And then in the order by, I had an order by distance, right? Mm -hmm. And because I was referencing by name and the, and the, the pluck ID strips those other fields out, it selects only the ID. I couldn't sort by that thing. Well, but that wouldn't be an issue if you're explicitly doing right. select ID from this other query as a subselect. Right. right. But the error message was very similar to the one I was getting when, so I was, I, I think I just didn't investigate far enough. Gotcha. What I ended up doing was I turned distinct off for the query. Then I plucked, then I called unique, like a Ruby unique. I was like, meh, good enough. And it was much faster. I was like, that's good. But I think I might now that now that we've had this conversation, I might go back to the select from I just let the database do it. Because like, there's some concern that the way Postgres does distinct may return a different ordering of those results than mm -hmm. unique would return in Ruby. Both should be first, I would imagine that like I did verify that unique is order stable. Right. It is, yeah. So it is. And I would imagine that that's the way Postgres is doing its distinct too. Like the first one wins, but like just letting Postgres handle it all in both cases is probably a better thing. And then also just even less garbage on the Ruby side, not doing. Yeah. Well, and I mean, if you do that query, right. So, so I guess it'd actually be select distinct ID from this sub select, mm -hmm. right. The query plan they'll get generated will be very much equivalent to what you would have been doing in Ruby, which is build up this entire result set, apply the ordering to it. Mm hmm then iterate over that uh, result set, you know, hash it down to a unique set by the ID and then return the, the unique IDs. The difference being less data over the network and less Ruby garbage. Right, less data over the network and Postgres is faster than Ruby. Mm -hmm. This is one thing that's been interesting to explain to some people in, in the diesel getter. Because there are, for, for certain types of things, like the database is very fast and very good at what it does. But for example, unless you have like an index on lower name, if you're talking about accessing a database from Rust, for example, there's actually no reason that the database would be faster at converting the name to lowercase than Rust would be, other mm -hmm. than potentially more allocation mm -hmm. in that particular case, actually. Maybe that's a ba bad example. <laughs> but like, it's not always necessarily true that doing work in the database is faster when you're basically dealing with C, Rust, or, or some other language that is you know, sufficiently close to the metal that it'll be as fast as it, as it could be. 
One thing that is interesting, though, is when you're working in those languages, then you also uh, maybe start to look at things as, well, what, what work can I do on the web server instead of in the database? Because your mm-hmm. web server scales much more easily than your database server does. So you're saying, like, in my day-to-day work doing Ruby for the most part, like... You always want to do it in the database. I there's always want to no do it in the database, yeah, right? absolutely no way that, that Ruby's ever going to be faster. I mean, I'm sure you could come up with, like, some sort of pathological way to shape data that, like, if you didn't know this particular feature of a database, the way you would write the query would be slower than just doing it in Ruby. Sure. But presuming you have a good knowledge of SQL and not even, like, an esoteric knowledge of SQL, like, just a, a good working knowledge of SQL then you should be able you're always going to be faster doing it in the database ruby wise and that's even ignoring network and all that stuff right of course if you're doing stuff you know in the database that results in less information being sent over the wire then that's that's certainly always not necessarily always faster but is always a consideration that mm-hmm. could make it better one other thing i want to mention though on on the topic of the whole select whatever from entire rest of the query as a subselect we use this in crates this trick in crates.io for um, pagination, because I really, I actually am surprised more people don't do this. Because one thing that's really interesting is, I think I'm trying to remember the reason I did this. And I, there's one particular query where, very specifically, the window function to grab the, the total has to be separate from the inner query. And I think it has something to do with like a where clause that we're adding, or uh, because we're using distinct, something funky was happening. I remember, I don't remember specifically what it was, but there was at least one query where we needed to have the window function outside of the main query. But then the other thing that's that's kind of interesting, like I don't, I'm not sure this would be a super common or useful thing to do, but really the fact that moving this to the select star from subselect and then add your stuff later, the, the fact that that works is really more of a property of just when you do that, you can be uh, sure that any modifiers you're adding to the query are independent from the query itself. So for example, pagination, you always are adding a limit and offset. What if the query you want to paginate also includes a limit or an offset? And right. you can totally do that if you structure if you structure as select star from open paren the entire rest of the query close paren limit whatever offset whatever. Mm-hmm. And in the cases where you know it doesn't need to be a subselect, like query planners are good at their job and will and will optimize it to to the same thing it would have been otherwise. So an example of that would be like we're going to paginate this. We're only going to ever return you the first thousand results. Right, we're going to paginate by 100 per page, and but we want to limit the entire result set to 100. So the inner result set could limit to 1,000, and then your outer yeah. result set could do your limit 50 offset or limit 100 offset, zero offset, 100, whatever. Exactly. I would kind of figure that there would probably be more use cases for sticking an offset in there. Like maybe, you know, this is a blog, and you always have the three most recent posts in the sidebar. Mm-hmm. And so you want to exclude those three posts from your full view all post paginated view. Sure. <laughs> As an ex- you know, a contrived example. Right. Um, but it's really easy to do. And interestingly, it's one of the few cases of like a rather complex, not even complex, but like less common SQL thing that is completely supported by Active Record, like just with its normal query builder. But I don't, I don't ever see it used much. And you're just saying it's completely supported in that way that we just discussed where you could just do like application record dot from. Right. I mean, the fact that you can do it on application record there, you know, you would only use application record in that case because uh, you're going to be calling pluck. Right. Right. So I would do post dot from something. Yeah. And, right. then, and then if you pass that a relation, it'll take the full query of that relation and do it as a subselect. Worth noting that uh, it's super buggy prior to, I don't remember if it's 5.1 or 5.2. It might be 5.2. Which would, if that's the case, that would explain why I don't <laughs> see this very often. Um, 
Actually, it shouldn't be buggy in five. In four two, it's definitely buggy. Remember that? You remember that whole thing I did earlier this year where I completely reworked how we handle bind parameters so that they actually live on the Arrow AST. Yes. Because in Rails 4.2, Relation actually had, so you were messing with joins values. There was also a bind values array, yep. which like is super broken because then you do dot from passing it a relation that has bind parameters in it, and oops, where do those go? Right. I think the changes I made, though, in 5 should make it so that there's never bugs there. And then the changes I made for 5.2 definitely make that bug just completely impossible. This is also only only a problem on Postgres. The 5.0 to 5.2 changes are to deal with things that that really only matter for Postgres. Mm-hmm. I think. No, it's an issue. <laughs> I enjoy that if these silences stay in the podcast, people will think that you're on your computer, like looking this up. When in reality, you're just looking off into the sky, searching your memory bank <laughs> for which bugs exist in which versions of Rails. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing that you start to have a hard time remembering. I know, I know, I fixed this, but it was there was also another fix, and that other fix is probably fine, but I don't remember which version any of them were in. While I was debugging this like poor performing query thing when I didn't realize it was because we had a duplicated join. First of all, I think I would, I haven't gone hunting for this, but something that formatted a SQL query for me in a log would be nice. Because like this query is really hard to read. It has nested query. It's really difficult to read. And I would love to just like, please, because I like the first thing I have to do is go through my logs, copy and paste it paste it into somewhere, remove like the thing that says like care provider load, blah, 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 and then go to the mm-hmm. end and remove the bind parameter array. And then I paste it into like this SQL formatter thing online, which does a terrible, like I, that's not how I would format a query, but whatever, <laughs> it's better than like the one long string that I've been given out of active record. And then I figure out what's going on anyway. So that's my call for some sort of optional way to say like, just even just in the console to say like to SQL, to pretty SQL, to nice SQL, to whatever. So I'm even <laughs> just thinking actually, it, it would make sense for us to do more formatting on it in the logs in development mode. Definitely only in development right. mode. Development mode is the only mode where it's actually rendered by default anyway, I think. Um, no. no? Well, it's rendered if your log level is set to debug, but we default to setting your log level to debug in production since oh. I think five. Okay. But one of the things I went to do during that process of debugging it was like, oh, isn't there a thing that where like a query takes longer than a certain period of time, the explain pan gets outputted? So I Googled it really, really quick and I was like, okay, here's the configuration for it. And I pasted it in and then I got like a no method error. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so I Googled it and it was it was removed in like 4.2 or something like that. <laughs> like it's been removed for a while or 4.0 even maybe. I think it was introduced in 3.2 and removed in 4.0 because people weren't using it or something like that. And I was like, oh, oh thing. I would have loved to have that because it, it actually is kind of a pain in the butt now for me to get an explain plan on a query I know to be slow, especially when like yeah. constructing that query is a lot of work to do in the console and simple to do in the web UI, right? So the only thing I have is that log of the SQL query, which I copy and paste, and then I have to manually replace the placeholders with the actual values. And right. it's like, oh, this this is this isn't a great experience. It'd be nice if this was a little better. Yeah, it was removed in uh, 4.1. Mm-hmm. Who knew? The auto-explain. I'm pretty sure relation still has an explain method, though. Yes, it does. But I had to get to the point, like, I had to be able to construct that in the console so I could call explain. Or I guess I could have put it in the code and just said, like, puts.explain yeah. in the controller or something. That probably would have been better than what I ended up doing. That's funny, though. It was literally added in 3.2 and immediately removed in 4.0. And it was a big thing in 3.2. I don't know if it was, like, a huge feature, but I remember it being, like, a, like... 
oh, look at this now. You automatically get explain plans if you want them for slow queries. I was like, yeah, I do want that. That's good. And then, you know, they went away. I kind of want to go find the pull request that removed it and uh, <laughs> see why. Go for it. Bring it back. It's not even a gem. It's just not there. Hmm. I mean, you could. You, it'd be pretty easy to re-add. I mean, Active Record instrumentation gives you all the hooks you would need right. to... And to be fair, I did not Google to see if it was a gem. I just looked at the commit to see if, like, did somebody say... I mean, it's definitely not a Rails gem. Right, right. But it, somebody else probably has some sort of, like, instrumentation gem that does this. But uh, it wasn't fun. And then I have to, like, manually format. Like, I open up PSQL and then manually format the query in Vim. Yeah. That's the other thing, though, that would be interesting. Like, so you mentioned you put it into a SQL formatter, and your reaction what it did was, well, that's not how I would format the query. <laughs> and I think we'll have that with whatever choice we make, because I don't think there's really any consensus anywhere as to how to format long SQL queries. No. Because you're almost always constructing them in a string literal in your program. Very few people are actually writing long SQL queries as files, like with a dot SQL extension, so that you have syntax highlighting and right. pretty indentation. There is, I did find a library called PG Formatter, which you can install via Homebrew, which I did, and ran, ran that over this query. And it did a decent job. With some nested stuff, it did some really weird things. But uh, I was okay with that. And the, the website that shows up first when I search for like SQL Formatter is something that has no option for Postgres, like, so I just click Generic. And it does some weird alignment stuff. I don't know. It's, I mean, it probably it's it probably doesn't know what to do with the bind parameters. <laughs> well, I take the bind parameters out. Uh, I leave the dollar one in there, and it's fine with that. It it's like I don't know what this is all about, but it just leaves it there. But it, I don't. Well, that's know what I mean. That's the bind parameter. Right, the placeholder for the bind parameter. Right. Sure. Yes. Uh, the thing that is part of the query. Yes. Where is this file? I want you to critique my indentation. <laughs> I used to spend a significant portion of my day every day writing SQL, so I used to have really strong feelings on how it should be formatted. Uh, well, let's hear it. Tell me, tell me why my indentation's wrong on this. Well, where is it? Did you send it to I just, me? I just sent it to you in Slack. Okay. You want me to send it to you in Skype chat? No, I got it right here. Okay. This is good. It's fine. It's readable. Like, I, I don't think I ever got to a point where I was like, every time I do this, it was more like, does the end result look readable to me? And I had some rules, and the rules would be like, Keywords are uppercase, which you've done here, and identifiers are lowercase, which you have also done here. I generally, for like even simple queries, I will generally do select and then new line, indent, and each column I'm selecting gets its own line, and mm -hmm. then from an inner join. Yeah, so I, I don't know. You've done basically what I've done. Like from and the joins are on the same level. Preferably, I really like it if I can fit the join syntax on one line. When you have to break sure. it over multiple lines, and it gets a little hairy, because some people I probably could have kept most of these on one line. Well, by most of these, I mean the ones after the nested one. Yeah, the one after, and even that actually, that's got. Yeah, that one could have been on one line. I just broke it onto multiple lines because I yeah. don't know. This is reasonable. This is fine to me, but like the one when I was using the online formatter, like it left aligned all the top level by like outermost query keywords over to the left so like mm -hmm. select was way over and then inner join was way over and then on would be way over on the left like even the on part would be like off to the left and then everything else mm -hmm. was space aligned to the right so there was like a big space between the sql keywords and the identifiers uh <laughs> i was like it's awful i don't like who has the time to do this indentation <laughs> i mean i guess if you again if you had a program that just did it for you on right whatever fine sure but this is fine as long as it's like readable and broken into like chunks of like this inner query goes together and you can tell so by the indentation like that kind of thing 
those are my strong feelings on it. Cool. We'll put a link to this query in the show notes. Uh, feel free to email us with your uh, with your <laughs> critiques. Right. Yeah, this looks fine to me. I like that you have comments in your query. <laughs> I mean... Not often done. <laughs> some of it felt complex enough, especially like line 19, where literally I'm just duplicating a bunch of the where clauses that are handled elsewhere. But if we don't do it in here, it makes the query way slower. Right. Anyway, I think we should wrap up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So right now, if you listen to our podcast and you'd like to support the podcast, you can head over to thoughtbot.com slash podcasts and uh, check out. We have a, we have some limited edition swag bundles and t-shirts and things like that, that you can order over there. Some of the stuff has never been made available for purchase outside of conferences. So that's pretty cool. And uh, I have it from our producer, Tom, that uh, the bike shed gear so far is uh, outselling other gear, I believe. So we'd like to keep that up. So uh, head on over, support the show and uh, we appreciate it. Thanks. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 135. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. If you have feedback about this episode or any of our other episodes, you can tweet us at underscore bike shed, email us at hosts at bikeshed.fm, or leave a comment on our website. Thanks for listening to the Bike Shed, and we'll see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, Raleigh, and Washington, D.C., let's build something great together.